Your host, Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. If you've listened to the show long enough, you might have noticed that we have an unofficial yet sort of official rule when it comes to booking. There are plenty of money shows hosted by and featuring the voices of straight white cis men. If you want to hear one speak about money, you don't have to look very hard. That's why on this show, we center the voices of literally everyone else. If you can find a straight white cis man to speak on a topic, guaranteed you can find a member of a marginalized group to speak on it too. This week, we're going to talk to someone I met while on my book tour. This past winter, I went to New York to do a panel on money, featuring, by the way, no straight white cis men, which was awesome. And one of my fellow panelists was a black man named Marcus Garrett, who works as a certified internal auditor, which, by the way, basically makes him a boogeyman to me. I cannot think of a scarier word than auditor right now, and I'm not even doing anything wrong. IRS, if you're listening. Marcus caught my attention because of his candor about his own massive money mistakes and because of his humor, and also because, as rare as it is to be a woman in the finance game, and as rare as it is to be a queer woman in the finance game, I've actually run into more specifically black women finance gurus since I started this journey in 2016 than I have black men money experts. Marcus had noticed this too. He hosts a fun formative, that's their word, money, career advice, and debt podcast called Paychecks and Balances with his buddy Rich Jones, another black man who works in recruiting and HR. Marcus and Rich are some of the most visible and vocal black men in the finance game. Their show, like this one, relies heavily on their own experiences, radical transparency, and trial and error. Like me, they're not experts. And like me, they hadn't felt spoken to by any other money media they'd encountered. Where were the black men? And specifically, where were the black men catering to other black men? As Marcus puts it, talking to versus talking at. Sound like any other finance show for marginalized people you know? This one. It's this one. You're listening to it. It helps that both men have a lot of experience to share. Marcus, in particular, spent $30,000 in one baller, immature weekend at the age of 22, a hole of debt that took seven years to fill. And that debt also became the subject of his book, Debt Free or Die Trying. And Rich is no stranger to climbing his way out of debt, too, while searching for any sort of money advice that wasn't shaming or overly complicated. In this interview with them both, we get into what to do about debt, why debt is even bad, and the reasons men of color might be more cautious when sharing their money mistakes. Enjoy. For me, growing up, my parents carried debt, and, you know, it wasn't that they were struggling and it was how we're going to make ends meet, you know, bankruptcy, foreclosure, but it was just normal to have debt. And Mm -hmm. so I was also one of those folks when I got to college, I got the credit card. I was also the person who would go to the student loan office and get refund checks when I really didn't need them just to have money to spend on randomness. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the debt that I built up was stuff that I can't even remember. It was food, not even experiences that I can look back on and, and say that that was a great time. 
And then uh, also I was in a long-term relationship where uh, we shared a credit card and there were things that my partner put on there. There were things that I put on there. And then when the relationship ended, there was a point where I ended up having to eat the debt balance that was on that card. And I think my debt got as high as about $20,000. And I had these various opportunities where I could have paid it down just based off of the different jobs that I've had, getting bonuses, uh, working out here in Silicon Valley, getting stock and just not prioritizing it. And then really, once I got clear kind of on my values and on my goals, that's when I really started chipping away at it. So first I was able to knock down the credit cards. And then uh, last year I was also able to pay off my car two years early. And Marcus, you're I we met in New York and uh, you kind of told this story a little bit. But, yeah, it was over the course of a weekend. Yeah. So I'll tell the uh, 15 second version, maybe 30 second, and then we can go into the longer version, if you will. But essentially, I graduated college with about nine thousand dollars in debt. The majority of my school was paid for. There's a Texas Tomorrow Fund, which, of course, went bankrupt because they used to guarantee uh, funding for college. And you all know college has increased like 300 percent since that time. I'm old uh, for, for folks who are trying to do the math there. So I graduated in high school in 2001, college in 2005. And so I graduated with about $9,000 in credit card debt predominantly. Yeah. And I got what was called a consolidation loan. And I didn't know what a consolidation loan was. I'm 22 years old. And I was like, okay, I had three credit cards. And I was like, okay, I'll get this. Uh, I thought that they would pay off the credit cards. And then I would start making this one low monthly payment, as they talk about in the brochures. And they sent me this blank check for $10,000. And I, I say that because I'm 22 years old. I don't even think I had a full-time job. I've already demonstrated that I can't manage money. And I got this check and I was like, it's rainy season. So I did what (laughs) I felt like any 22-year-old would do. And because in my head, money was so fungible at that time, it's like, I'm just I, like I graduated college. Like I'm, my next job is six figures. This is this is nothing. Ten thousand dollars. That's nothing. And so I went out. I had a really great weekend. Me and my girlfriend. We bought out of control. Uh, to give you some context, we bought what was the blue liquor? Alize or something. Oh, I don't even think it existed. God. Hypnotic. <laughs> hypnotic. hypnotic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We bought lots of hypnotic. Um, and so yeah, it was. I, I, and people have asked to this day, like, do you regret it? But it was like the best weekend of my life, to be perfectly honest. Which. <laughs> I bought a car with rims for $13,000. I didn't negotiate the car. I was like, yo, I want that one. Like I just went out and pointed because, you know, that's what ballers do. They got $10,000 in the bank account. And then I bought a flat screen TV. And at the end of a 72 hour period, I now had $26,000 in debt. Wait, you thought what was the $10,000 check? It was to pay off those three credit cards. Oh, and you were like, well, I don't need to do that. Yeah. When, once I saw that $10,000 check, that made a lot less sense to me. I'm like, well, I'm going to pay off these credit cards. Got it. So I think that you guys are actually a great example of each of the ways that I think people get into debt is, you know, I kind of have a, a more similar to rich where it's like you just that's just what you do. That's just mm-hmm. like over time. That's the situation. But then there are definitely periods and there are, you know, people where you just go, ah, fuck it. Like what, you know, (laughs) whatever, like the world is ending. Who cares? (laughs) Uh, I'm buying a car with rims. Um, So what was your emotional like after you that weekend? Did you just not look at any of it for a long time? Or what was your like emotional journey to being like, maybe I should do something about this? Actually, because debt is so normalized, 
I actually didn't think it was that big of a deal because all my friends had like $30,000 in debt. So because of the way minimum payments are set up, I didn't realize the tsunami was about to hit. So the water is already going out. I'm now $26,000 in debt. It then took me six months to find a job to make $19,000, not six figures like I thought I would. Right. And And it took forever to get that job. I was grateful to get it. And... It was another five years. I tell people I was 27 before I put a budget together. And in the book, I talk about rock bottom was I'm now five years later. I'm working three jobs. Uh, I'm putting computers together at Dell. I'm working a hotel night shift job. I have a nine to five. And from time to time, I would sell phones for (laughs) AT&T. I was basically all these contract jobs because all I knew how to do was trade time for money. That's the only skill set that I knew about. And I was still unable to pay the monthly payments. So it actually took five years for that weekend to catch up with me. And I think a lot of people can relate to that because you're making the minimum payment, you're making the minimum payment, and then suddenly you can't. Mm -hmm. I wish I had had that aha moment at 22, but I didn't really have it until 27. No, that makes total sense. I mean, for both of you, again, this show, like we really try to get into um, the basics of stuff. So why, why is debt bad? I think it holds you back from what you want to accomplish next, typically when your back is against the wall. So in a lot of those scenarios, and now now this is in hindsight, you know, I'm 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 six years past when I wrote the book and, you know, 10, 15 years past when this event happened. But there's relationships where I felt like, well, I can't get in a relationship. I got too much debt. I'm bringing too much baggage to this relationship. Um, I had to chase work. So I moved across the country two different times to chase after work to make this salary because I always thought I just don't make enough money. That's the problem. It's not my spending. It's not my irresponsibility. Yes, that's very uh, relatable. Yeah, it's not the Alizé and hypnotic. I just don't make enough money. Right. And... Actually, that was wrong. Actually, the first thing that changed for me was when I was, you know, at rock bottom was a, really a, a change in mentality. And then I didn't make any more money, but then putting a plan together and I went and I still actually reference them. I use bank rate to put my first debt free plan together. Like, what does it actually look like month to month? The actual math, the monthly payments I need to make to get rid of this debt. So, oh, yeah. And Rich, similarly, like because I think people do go, well, whatever, it's very normalized, like, you know, and there are people that have $80,000 in student loans, or a lot of people that I spoke to for my book were just like, I'll die with it, who cares? But like, yeah, Rich, if you could, like, just if someone was like, why is it bad that I have this? Debt is not freedom. That's what it boils down to when I think about it, because the, the number one value for me is freedom. And It got to a point where I was able to pay bills. Again, I wasn't in a situation where I was struggling, but then I started having this nagging feeling of what if something goes wrong? What if I lose my job? Mm -hmm. I've got this rent in the Bay Area. I've got these other things. I've got this debt that's hanging over my head. And I got tired of worrying. And so knowing that you constantly have to pay a bill and knowing that if something goes wrong and you don't have a way to come up with those funds, those banks and those institutions are still going to come after you. That's something. And then the other aspect of it is the interest. And there was a point where I was paying over $100 a month in interest on top of whatever payment I was making on those specific credit cards. Mm -hmm. And so that's money over the course of weeks, months, years that could be going towards something else. And that was also a factor for me and even paying off the car early because people say, oh, car note, that's what you have. You get it for five years. But 
wouldn't it be great to be able to free up that cash today to either save, to invest, or do something that you really want to do versus having to sacrifice life experiences because you've got to make these payments every month? Oh, I think people just don't. I think they go put it on another credit card. Let's go to Japan. I think they don't. I think they don't. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that, too. And I totally get it. Even now, there are times where I might put something on the credit card. I do pay it off. But I think a lot of times when we're younger, it's always we're going to have more money. You Mm -hmm. know what? I'll be able to take care of it. Or we do the I'll pay it in full this month. The end of the month comes around and I got this other thing. Mm -hmm. I'll pay it in full next month. Next thing you know, years have gone by Mm -hmm. and you're looking at 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 a five digit balance. And that's just with credit cards that's not factoring in student loans no for sure or or even factoring in if someone does have a car note which people also accept as normal more to come with rich and marcus after this short break and we're back i mean life keeps coming is what i've figured out like i i mean i have very small amount of credit card debt now but i'm like okay, I want to get rid of it. And then like something happened, my car, let's, I mean, this is true. My car broke down Friday and I like was not expecting that. And I'm like, ugh, like just, <laughs> if it could stop for like a week, just just a week, that would be great. But it doesn't stop. It's like, so it is the thing of like having to swim through the quicksand to like get out ahead of anything that's going to happen because it's just not going to stop. But I think people are just like, I don't know, I don't know, put it on a credit card, I don't know. I mean, it's also tied to saving, too, because a lot of times if we have a credit card and we have those emergencies come up, a lot of us don't have the money set aside to be able to cover that emergency. Mm -hmm. So the only option for us is to put that on a credit card. Mm Mm-hmm. And even think about some of the folks when the whole government shutdown was going on. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who now they have tens of thousands of dollars of debt or whatever amount of debt. And there's different reasons that people aren't able to you know, save three, six months, a year of living expenses, whatever the rule of thumb is for today. But sometimes it's that one big situation that starts the debt train. And the next thing you know, everything else is starting to go in the credit card after that. Oh, it's so easy for Super one, easy. one like a medical expense or something to happen and then it's just out of control. Definitely. So how did you, so, I mean, it's funny, Marcus, you were like, oh, I didn't start budgeting till I was 27. I'm like, I'm 30. I'm like still working on it. (laughs) Like what like started the steps towards paying it back? Well, for me, and that's what I try to recommend people don't do, you know, do as I say, not as I did is I did it this whole show. This whole show is that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I only did it because my back was against the wall. So I, I even to this day, people are like, you know, what was your great maturity moment? You know, were you standing on the Rocky Mountains hiking and I don't hike? And, and then I was like, no, I like I physically did not have the amount of money in my checking account to pay the bills that were coming in. I got to a point in life where I did not have a choice. Life, like you said, was forced up on me. Mm-hmm. And I was telling somebody about this, although it, it was more on the career side, but like it kind of reminded me that I was lost at sea. The sharks are circling, so bills, responsibility, generally adulting at, at age 36, millennial. And I see a rescue boat in the, dust, in the distance. Mm-hmm. It's like the next job, it's the financial independent, it's the next consolidation loan. Mm-hmm. But day to day, will I be able to tread water long enough to make it? And that's just, to Rich's point, a horrible sinking feeling and place to be in. And yet, I would argue, since like 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, 
that's their every day. Every day, mm-hmm. month to month, week to week, bi-weekly, they're treading water. And it's just physically exhausting. Mentally oh. exhausting, emotionally exhausting. Being not even not, not that's not even just financial. <laughs> which no, is also no. Exhausting. But being in debt, I mean, this is like I could do a whole episode about this, but this is like being in debt, any any kind of money stuff, you're physically sick. Like right. while you're dealing with it and like while you're kind of spiraling and paying all these things on credit cards and all that, like in my experience, your stomach hurts, your back hurts, your head hurts, like you are like physically ill. So we were talking recently to Broke Millennial. She just wrote a second book. Uh, I'm actually redrafting Debt Free or Die Trying with more actionable tips and things I've learned over the last six years. I've also read 15 money and investment books since then. But she gave a specific percentage because everybody always talks about, oh, consumer debt and high debt, good debt, bad debt. Mm-hmm. And she said 5%. 5, 5% of, of what? Of your... Oh, at APR, I should say. Oh, okay. Uh, the 5% interest, rate. interest. Got it, got it. Yeah, because some people may have student loans at 14% or they may have a credit card at 1%. You know, oh, there, there's so many different ways. And so I really thought that was, I was like, that's something people could latch on to. And it's a clear delineation. Yeah. Okay. So that's the other, this is the thing that happened to me is that you, I was like 22, got a credit card, was like, great, great, great. There was, you know, oh, a one year, zero interest. I was like, cool. Then that's I didn't get you. Yeah, then I didn't look at it for like, I don't know, five years. And then by the time I looked back at it, it was like 22%. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I got a, uh, I hope this doesn't make me a hypocrite, but I will admit it. So I got my my tires replaced. So I got a nail in one tire. I go in, I was like, hey, what about this nail? They're like, actually, you need four new tires. I was like, son Exactly. <laughs> Life keeps coming. And so, yeah, I just did not want to drop. So I did same as cash anyway. So I put on his nine month payment plan. I'm like, all right, I can afford it. it sucks. But I just did not want to give them twelve hundred dollars that day. I just I didn't. I had it, but I didn't want to. Right. I, it, sometimes, you, you know, you, I double down on principle. My pride gets in the way. And they, they sent me this card. So it doesn't matter because I'm gonna pay it off within this payment period. But it's twenty nine percent interest. I looked at that thing like three different ways. I'm like, is this the late payment fee? It's just a twenty nine percent interest card. I'm like, how is this legal? That's like payday loan wow. status. <laughs> yes. Whoa. So anyway, like, so that's bringing it home. But I keep saying I'm going to answer your question, so I will, I'll go quickly through it. So for me, it's a four-step plan. This is the course that I'm putting together is I broke it down using debt as the acronym. So D, you define the problem. E, you establish a plan. Um, you can get that from annual credit report. I know that's free. Uh, I know Rich uses Credit Karma. I know there's a lot of sources out there, but I like to go with what I know because a lot of people don't even know how much debt they have. And to be fair, when I was 27, I didn't know. I knew bills came in. I knew I had debt, mm-hmm. but I had no idea what it was in totality. And so you can get that from annualcreditreport.com. It's, it's free and it's guaranteed. And be sure to look at it because I, there's like a whole segment on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver that was fascinating to me, which is that there's just full of mistakes or people are buying yep. your debt or uh, you might end up paying the same loan off twice because you're not paying attention. Like it was terrifying. Yeah. So right. my dad has the same name. And so years ago- ah! There was a credit card that was open, and it, it wasn't even it wasn't even mine. It was his, and somehow it had gotten attached to to my account. And then I also realized I don't even know what my student loan interest rate was. I didn't even look at it. I just set mm-hmm. up the automatic payment and just made it every month. And so I just had a realization. I'm like, I couldn't even tell you what that rate was. I just accepted that I would be paying this until it would be paid off, which is yep. kind of crazy. But, but I suspect that's probably what a lot of people do. I imagine if people are doing that with credit cards. They definitely got to be doing that with their student loans and even car notes. The third one there is so now you know how much you owe. 
you have a plan for paying it back. And then I, this is a big point. You talked about this is then incorporating it to your budget. And I feel like, first of all, most people don't do any of these four steps, let alone the first three in order. So they'll go. So what I, I'll just talk about myself. I don't even have to accuse anybody. When I graduated school, I was like, I'm going to get out of debt at 25. Uh-huh. Just because it sounded good. It was a nice round number. I got this OCD thing where I like round numbers, 25, 30, things that end in zero. You know, I'm, I'm like a Order. step above shaking doorknobs. Yeah. And so, but I didn't put any plan together. So I might as well have said like, I want a unicorn. Like there mm-hmm. was no plan or action or process behind it it just sounded good i told people my friends are like yeah i think we all high-fived each other and then we went out and spent a bunch of money probably on the credit card Mm -hmm. and so it's important to to and rich mentioned as well put a budget together but i think the next evolution in that budget 102 would be excuse me i've been out of college a while budget 201 (laughs) (laughs) would be to then automate it because like you said I'm still the same way. People ask me to this day at 36, they're like, oh, you're, you're so mature, so knowledgeable. You have this show, paychecks and balances. And how do you do it? And I was like, I'm still functionally irresponsible. Like, yeah. How I survived it a day is amazing to me. But I automate everything. So I take myself out of it. So by the fifth of the month, 95% of everything I need to do responsibly with my money is done. All the bills. Now, now it's kind of disappointing because Rich knows I get paid once a month. So my, my checking account's huge. It's like a tidal wave comes in. And then on the second, it's empty again. <laughs> oh, my God. Just speaking my language. I'll be like, we so did it, it. It hurts to watch. Yeah, it hurts like, to watch. Victory music plays. I'm patting myself on the back. And then like the next day, it's like, goodbye. It all went to <laughs> SoCal Gas and to rent and um, see you later. And you're like, OK. And But then you go, well, it wasn't it great that I was able to like that's I'm ahead of so many people that I'm able to just be at zero by March 3rd. <laughs> Yeah. And that, that's why the last one is to trust the process. Uh, well, I go back and forth. It's trust the process or the time will pass on its own because one of those funding streams is my 401k. And I also have a uh, retirement account through my job. So 25, 30 years from now, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, on, ironically, on Instagram, which actually they're much nicer on Instagram. To your point, you talked about that on my show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're much nicer on Instagram than Twitter. But she was like, so what are you supposed to do? I was talking about retirement at 67. She's like, I don't want to work to 67. I go, well, both of us, ideally in a perfect world, are going to make it to 67. Mm-hmm. You can either be financially secure at 67 or continue living paycheck to paycheck past 67. Like that, that, that part is your choice. But following this plan and automating it ensures one of those people at 67 is financially secure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the bigger takeaway. What do you say? Like, I feel like there's a lot of discouragement. Like I have talked to people on my book tour where it's like they, they started to do this stuff and then something happened and they went back into debt or they, they finally, you know, got somewhere and then, and then there was a big medical diagnosis or something. Like I, I kind of always try to preach this thing of like, you can start over, you can always start over. But I think that's really emotionally difficult for people. Like, do you guys have relapses? Like, is it kind of like a, I think it's an ongoing thing spiritually. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been debt sober for about a year now. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were plenty of times. I mean, there, there was a point where I had $6,000 of debt. It was, I was probably 24, 25 and I actually got out of it and you know, I did the whole, yes, this is fantastic. And then slowly but surely I got right back into it again. Mm-hmm. And I actually, and I actually think paying it off made me overconfident in a way where yeah. I was like, you know what? I did it before so I can do it again. And that debt crept up. Yeah. And 
you know, I, I've had expenses and things come up that I didn't plan for. And I think one of the most important things you can do is breathe. And I understand that that's difficult when you have crazy things going on. I've definitely been there. But it's okay. Like, if you need to for six months, whatever the amount of time is, pay the minimum or pay just a little bit more than the minimum or break the plan you had in place, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Because life does come up. But once that feeling of, of over, overwhelm sets in, that's where it's really difficult to get out. And, I find, and I've done this myself where I just freeze and I just don't pay anything or, you know, I've had things be, become late because I'm trying to juggle everything at once. So yeah. I think just like with the budget or with anything else, you have to constantly be reprioritizing. We'll be right back to the interview after this quick break. And we're back with Rich and Marcus. Is there a way, because we talked about it being so normalized, like it's so easy to get into all kinds of debt. Like, is this just the way that we've chosen as a society to be? Or because I feel like systemically, if things were a little bit better, we wouldn't need all of this. But then also there's so much money behind an industry that's like credit card. You want a credit card? Like, is this just like, (laughs) what is the deal? (laughs) So I do feel like in this country, debt is normalized. But I think the saving grace to that is and I think we're seeing a, a change in the tide of information. You know, personal finance isn't taught in school, but you clearly see a thirst. You know, your podcast, our podcast, this whole industry creeping up of people thirsty for this information of how do I manage my life? However, to your point. It's so easy to get and it feeds into human nature. It's literally instant gratification. So the funny thing is when I tell that story about $30,000 of debt, some people don't blink an eye. They're like like doctors, lawyers. They're like, that's it. That's like one tenth right. of my debt. That's all, that's all you have to, to offer. Some people like fall backwards out of their chair because they've never seen more than $3,000 of debt. They've never seen $10,000 in one weekend. So it's all in perspective. But what I would say is, you asked, do I kind of ever fall off the debt wagon? Yes. Every weekend is an opportunity because every, especially in the spring, Rich and I were talking about this on the last show. We're getting the spring text now. So it's a uh, mimosa season, you know, mm-hmm. Sunday fun day's back, you know, mm-hmm. the, the sun's out, everybody wants to be out spreading their arms and having fun. And I can literally see if I track my text message, there'd be a spike like a bell curve soon as April 1st came around because mm-hmm. everyone wants to be out spending money. And to Rich's point, I remember in college, all of my friends, I didn't know it at the time, but they had student loans mm-hmm. and I didn't have student loans. So they had refund checks. And I'm like, where are they getting all this money? Mm-hmm. I know for a fact these people don't work. They stay in my dorm. Two of y'all are my roommates. Like, where are y'all getting this money? But like you talked about in your book, actually, no one talks about where the money comes from. So anybody can be out there looking wealthy, but most people quite literally are not. And so you have to be different than what everyone else is doing. I know. But how do you have things in life? You know, like I think a lot of people, they want the things in life. They want to have a kid at this age. They want to have a house at this age. You know, they Mm. they want the things that are seen as normal, but you can't really do that with the financial situation you're in, but they still do it. It's difficult. And and I think that's one thing that we openly recognize it is difficult because some of it is just, it's not the math. It is the emotions. It's like, well, I've worked really hard. I went to school for four years. I want these things and possibly mm-hmm. I deserve these things. So my takeaway from that would be that 
I truly believe, and I tend to have an abundance mindset, I actually think people can have both. I actually think people can have it all, but that have it all doesn't end at 100% of your income. And for most people, obviously, in that scenario, 110, 125%, it actually ends at 90%. So if you want to have all those things, I would take your total income, multiply that times 0.9, and that's what you should be living on. Yeah. And I think we got to talk about the role of instant gratification as well, because a lot of it is I want this now. I don't want to wait a year. I don't want to wait two years. Mm -hmm. I need to have this today. And we think about the role of social media in that. We see people traveling. You know, we we see all of these sites about points on on credit cards. So we got people getting credit cards to get the points, but then they're not paying off the balance in full every month. And then even with some of these tools that are supposed to help you manage your finances, so I like Credit Karma, there's also Mint, these tools are also filled with credit card offers. Yes. So. <laughs> Ads for credit cards. Yeah. And so that's, so that's all you're seeing. You're going in to look at your credit score. You're going in to look at your budget and you're being told, great job. Here's an offer that's just for you. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it sounds like an actual reward. And these companies, of course, know that. And I think that they, while... While they're offering a helpful service, these companies are in the business of making money. And so going into these portals that are supposed to be helpful and then seeing credit cards and loan deals within these portals, it, it kind of normalizes that. And you just and you start to associate helpful habits with having credit because that's what you always see when you're checking in on these various accounts. I know, but don't, isn't there a thing of like, well, you should have credit because you need to have a credit score? Actually... Yes, I, I would agree with that. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to come at this and I appreciate Rich for jumping in with it. I'm going to come at it from a slightly different approach as well. It's difficult because you don't technically need a credit card. But I do understand the idea of maintaining a high credit score, which I think has been greatly infatuated. I feel like credit scores are the new Instagram now because everyone's like, you know, look at my credit score and post a picture of their credit score. But I, I go back to you got to be different than what everyone's doing unless you want to have the exact same outcomes of what everyone but else But you don't having. regret your fun weekend. And I don't in the weekend and fun that I had, but I did in that 72 hours took me seven years to pay off. So I guess if somebody wants to trade 72 hours for seven years, hey, more power to it. I got a great <laughs> book for you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't want to waste seven years, I'd recommend you yeah. do that. I still wanted things. I still like things. I still like cars with rims. My car now has rims. It's just a different mm-hmm. factory set of rims. It seems simple. It seems cliche, but most people are so conditioned to spend immediately on something they want. I go to Target. I'm in the decor section. That's a nice towel. Oh, well, I can't just bring the towel home. I need a towel rack. Target is a black hole. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so what I'm doing is I still shop at Target and I have my reasons behind that, but I'm not in the decor section. Because Marcus knows if Marcus goes in the decor section, evil Marcus is going to show up with his little hood on and like, yo, buy this, man. We need this. You know what? We need to, you know, we need the little poster on the wall that says some cliche quote that came from a meme on Instagram. And I just you got to avoid those things. So you got to know your triggers. I know it sucks because you it's. It seems like this thing where the average person has to cut all this stuff and the average person, things are so expensive that, you know, that shouldn't be so expensive that they are using credit for things and it has become normalized. And then it's like these companies at the top are like, hey, 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 we we got them. And then the government is like, hey, hey, we got them. And it's like it is personal responsibility, but I also am like, ah, like it shouldn't be so 
pervasive and predatory. I guess predatory is the word. Yeah, and I even I see some of these uh, emails where it's like buy a house and get thirty thousand points, and I'm like, this this is terrible. Like mm-hmm. you're telling someone who wasn't thinking about buying a home to to finance a whole house that they may not even need just to get thirty thousand points, you know, so that they can take a trip, and they'll lure you with a lot of that stuff. Have you been thinking about traveling? Have you been mm-hmm. thinking about doing this? Uh, see what this person is doing. Success. This is what success looks like. There's this commercial, and, and it's for like some in. NBA ticket site and there's a family sitting on the couch and they see that their neighbors are at the game mm. and, then the, and, the, and then the dad is like how are the Andersons at the game and then they immediately go on and buy tickets and go to the game now we don't know <laughs> if they paid for those tickets on credit but I, I think that like that's what happens for a lot of people so there's all of these things that are around us and then we also see what folks are are doing around us and there's this pressure that's hard to shake to be able to keep up and that's not just with money that's with social i mean that's with everything i mean that happens in churches i mean in every possible place there's this inherent pressure to show that you're where everyone else is or or that you're ahead of where everyone else is and i'm not sure if that's something specific to the united states but I know it's definitely an issue here. And when I visited, I recently uh, went to Europe and seeing the way that people approach life and and the way that they thought about different things, they seem to be much more on chill. And that could have just been a limited experience. But it does seem like there's a lot more pressure here to be able to not not necessarily show your work, but show your worth, even if that means going into debt. Yeah. And like, I mean, it is the it does come back to being honest with each other, which nobody is. Because what if the Andersons are like, oh, actually, like, my coworker wor- gave me these seats because he, like, has season tickets or, you know, exactly. oh, I won them on a radio show or whatever. But you only see, oh, they must have bought them. Like, we should buy them. And then we try to match each other's situations when we don't actually know the truth of, of each other's situations. Yeah, and— I as as for as much stuff as I've talked about with my boys and we've talked about taking trips. So we always talk about the action and we and we'll talk about the cost of doing things, but we never talk about our individual financial situations. Mm-hmm. E- even with significant others and being with someone for years, the amount that we talked about money was was very small and mm-hmm. I think that that was ultimately a factor in why that's now a past situation. And, you know, we always say people will talk more about their sexual exploits than they'll talk about like, yo, like, what are you thinking for this financial situation? Or like, yeah. yo, how much do you actually like, like asking someone how much they make? <gasps> I know. Shock. And also, <laughs> I think like it, it's you try to keep up with your friends or you try to, you know, you start dating someone and then you get into debt because in the beginning you want to like do all the stuff and seem fun and you know, go to Universal Studios and, you know, do all, I I live in Los Angeles, uh, and like take them to Harry Potter World or whatever (laughs) constitutes a date. I'm single. Uh, and so, and so like, you know, it's, it becomes like money as a, as a way of like, look how worthy I am. Um, and, but I also am, I'm just in my head about this car thing, but it's just so easy for it to spiral. Like, (laughs) I was like, look at me walking down the street doing so good. Oh, your car's broken. And what's interesting is people who probably are listening to this, they've probably already made assumptions about you because they've seen you different places and they're like, oh, your car broke down. Like, that shouldn't be a big deal at all. 
But no, again, it's uh, ruining my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but again, look, but but that's what people do. They assume like, okay, because you know you have these opportunities, you've been in this, you've been on that, you got your own show, you must be rolling in the dough, you know. And but that may not be the case at all. You you never know these people's pockets. You never know these people's accounts. And what may seem like what should be easy for one person, that thing could actually be really difficult. But they just don't show that outside. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we all know a lot of influencers who are out there publicizing the great life that they're having, but their life is in shambles. Their relationship's going poorly. They they can barely make ends meet. It's all rented. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. There's a whole other topic where, like, you know, you sometimes when you see these these uh, Instagram baddies with, like, similar cars, or you're like, that house looks kind of familiar. It's all rented. They're posing in front of rented mansions. They're posing in front of rented cars. Man. I did see a, it was like a 2020 story where like you can rent a private jet. And it's like this long line outside, like an amusement park ride where people taking are going pictures in on the jet. taking pictures oh, in yeah. this private jet. They get, you know, champagne and everything like that. You take pictures in all these different angles. I was like, you know what? My thing is, though, you know, hate the game, not the player. I was like, it is what it is. But I, I appreciate you sharing that other side of the story because a lot of people don't know that. Yes. So then, you know. You're the average person, and I talk to these high school kids all the time, and they want the, the shoes. They want to go into debt for this thing. So there's there's two sides. There's that, and then there's also the people who genuinely are like, my paycheck does not cover mm. because minimum wage is fucked, and so my paycheck doesn't cover what it needs to cover, and so I've normalized that credit is just part of the living experience. And I think those are two two very different things, but they both come under the umbrella of like, the ways of thinking needing to change. But I, I kind of look at it as like levels. And so and I've been at least three of these. Um, so there's, I think there's poor and at every level generally tries to, you know, obviously you're trying to either live like or escape to the next level. So poor, and I go back and forth about whether I was ever poor for some personal reasons, but I was definitely broke. Yes. That's a level number two. And if you're lucky, you, you know, you climb up the corporate ladder to middle. And what happens is when you get to middle, and I'll broadly describe it as like, let's say 50 to maybe 150,000. And then you start looking at rich and wealth. And I think what happens is a lot of times, and same thing, present company included, when I was broke, I wanted rich wealth as I perceived it, superficially, externally, on the outside, lifestyle. But I think the difference is rich is monetary. And it's probably a pretty finite salary, probably like around mm-hmm. 250,000, like is rich, you're, you're self-sustainable. And there's a whole bunch of data behind this, but I won't bore y'all with that. But to me, the next difference is wealth. So to make it simple, wealth, a wealthy person can write a rich person's check exactly. and still keep going. And it's when it's so self-sustainable, you can't even get rid of it. You just you couldn't. You, there's nothing you could physically do to get rid of wealth. And I think what gets blurry is where most of us, and I'll include myself in this group, are in those first three tiers trying to live like those last three tiers. And clearly you can. You can put on that that uh, look like it. But I think to actually get there, you have to be different. And uh, that's why I kind of go back to if you, you can do it all and I disappear on people. So luckily I'm actually in this weird place where I've written this book and people know it. So I'd be like, yo, I'm broke. I'm on a budget this week. No, how Marcus is being Marcus. <laughs> I could just blame the book. I was like, I gotta, yeah, I gotta walk the walk. So that's actually helped me out. But for the, the, the lay person, it's just, okay, you know, what are your different categories? And right now I use an 80, 20 budget to, to kind of speak to what we were talking about earlier. So 20% of everything I need to do is allocated responsibly. But I, I track the other 80. I use Mint, like Rich mentioned. Um, 
but I don't, I'm not as detailed as I used to be. And I recognize that's a place of privilege because I also don't want to spend my entire day, life, week, month, year tracking mm-hmm. each dollar. And I think you got to be more explicit when you ain't mm-hmm. got money to blow. But my thing is, if you got money to blow, <laughs> blow it fast. Have a good time. Ball out. Make it rain. But if you ain't there, then maybe you just need to ball out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> just Tuesdays. Just Tuesdays <laughs> between the hours of yeah. 4 to 6. It's so hard because I think about these conversations. And for a lot of us who are having the personal finance conversations, I mean, we're, we're, we're middle class or mm-hmm. higher than that. And I do always think about for the folks who are struggling where they're like, yeah, that sounds great, but I need to be able to pay rent next month. Yes, and so huge. It, and so it feels like there's this fine line. And then there's also this this feeling that, that I've had where as I've knocked off bills and, you know, as I've become debt free, like I, I still have this struggle of like, am I losing my relatability? <laughs> because, mm. you know, I'm finding myself in a better financial situation, but I don't think anyone aspires to struggle. And, you know, I've realized, too, even working out here in Silicon Valley, while I've worked hard to get here, yes, there is a privilege. You know, not everyone has access to stock. Not everyone gets a performance bonus. Not everyone has a salary. A lot of people are hourly and their hours get cut. And that that significantly impacts the way that they can live on a a day-to-day basis. So I, I just say that to say that it's... When having these conversations, it's really hard to consider all groups, especially when a lot of us are speaking from a place of experience and uh, we haven't experienced what some of these what some of these other folks have experienced uh, or are experiencing in their lives. And even thinking about the way my parents paid credit cards. So both my parents were janitors, custodians, and they didn't live poor. We didn't live poor. I don't ever feel like I was poor growing up. I feel like I always had what I need. But credit cards were tied to that. It made me think of what you said earlier, where that was just normal. And I and I look back now and I realize part of why I was able to have some of the things that I wanted and the things that I needed is probably because they were taking advantage of debt. Hugely, hugely. My parents, I say in the book, my parents paid for my bat mitzvah, which was like amazing, $20,000 loan. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of money. I felt like it was a pretty okay childhood. I went to summer camp. I had a lot of the stuff I wanted. Um, they are so in debt. Can I ask y'all a question? Sure. I think might be of interest to the audience because I went back home and then my parents showed me the house that we grew up in, but they also bought it for $80,000. It's now yeah. worth like 180000 So do y'all, do y'all think some of this of what our parents were able to do is a unique period in time in which we were growing up? They just happened to be raising us? For sure. But they also, I think my parents and similar probably was what Rich is saying is like, they just they just didn't care. Like they just took out all this loan, all these loans and had all this credit card debt. And they were like, whatever, like we want our kid to be able to go to basketball camp. So she's going. Yeah. And I'd say it was the same. And I think my, my mom has finally paid off those credit cards, but I mean, years of making minimum payments and, Mm -hmm. and, and seeing that now and being like, yo, you might still be paying off debt from like a decade ago. But you know, then if you and, talk to her, she goes, I don't regret it. Like, I, you nope. had a great bat mitzvah. I don't regret it. No, no, there's there's no regret at all. And I actually think that my mom and my dad, if he was still with us, like, they'd, they'd both be, they would have zero regrets and they'd both be very happy about the decisions that they made. And, like, the debt to them would be worth it, you know? Right. Because they're seeing where I am today and that's kind of what they were doing it for. So yes. they had a purpose with it. 
or yeah, or they or it's just like yeah, I guess it's just priorities or you know they they think you know I can't not live my life. Yeah, I wanted to ask you guys uh, one other thing, and it's sort of off topic, but generally on this show, and it's been a loose policy, but we don't really interview straight white dudes. We just don't do it. Um, they have enough. They have enough. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys because uh, I think you guys are two sort of big people in the like debt and money game and you're and you're both black men. So can you talk about like what it's been like being in this sort of predominantly white space and like oh. how, you know, is was that like something that you were like, we should we should be voices in this because there aren't a lot of black men who speak about finances? And that was one of the biggest reasons we started a podcast in the first place. And I can remember back in 2013. So we've been in the game over five years now. And I think that's important to mention to people as well is that we didn't just pop up overnight. And now here we are. Mm -hmm. But I can remember when I was when I started becoming really interested in personal finance and looking around and hearing the same. Pr pretty much my idea of personal finance at the time was a white guy in a suit. Yes, exactly. And. And I would listen to shows and I would hear the same thing and I would hear the same oftentimes uh, boring conversations that weren't very relatable. And I said, yo, we have to change this. And I reached out to Marcus. I, I knew that he was on his debt journey and said, yo, what do you think about starting a podcast? Now, it's been interesting. I think people have it's been really encouraging on one hand in terms of the amount of support that we've gotten from across the spectrum from all groups. Uh, in terms of some of the folks that have helped put us on, those have been white men. You know, those have been white women. Uh, I mean, look at the show that, that, we're, that we're on today. But it's also frustrating in a way as well, because when I think about personal finance, at least in kind of the public media space uh, within our community, a lot of what you actually see out there is black women. Uh, mm -hmm. If you and if you look around the space, and I think when it comes to topics of personal development and topics that are intended to be helpful, uh, that it does seem to overdex women, and I have no formal data to to prove that. And even looking at our audience right now, our audience is primarily black women, mm -hmm. you know? and so. Uh, I've, I've had this conversation before about you know, why there aren't more men in the space. And I, I do think that there's an element of, of pride to it. I do think that there's this element of I should be able to figure this out on my own. And we readily acknowledge that we don't have all the answers ourselves. And I think part of why we're in the position that we're in today is because we are candid about that. So uh, it's awesome to be in this position, to be one of the few, but it also very much reminds me of what I see in tech and diversity being a topic that's super important to me where you know we go to these conferences and we go to these different events and, and there are so few of us. And so we're always trying to figure out uh, how do we get more men of color interested in this space, but you also have to acknowledge that there's an audience that's listening to you today and you don't want to forsake that audience. And I'm sure that there are uh, there are misconceptions that people have about us. I mean, we're both two black dudes with tattoos. Marcus more than me. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we, we intentionally don't do the whole shirt and tie thing on our website or anything like that, because like personal finance is meant to be a regular everyday thing. You don't need to be a financial expert. And yeah, uh, don't I don't need to I be really, dressed up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I really hope that, that by what we're doing, we're helping other men see that there's a path in this space and uh, also helping them to think differently about their finances as well. I think we've come more to peace, if that's the right word for this. But for a long time, there was a question. We actually had this conversation behind the scenes was, are we a black show mm. or are we a personal finance show with two black hosts? And I think we've come to 
better recognize that we may be a black show that talks about personal finance. I think that's very needed. Yeah, and it ties to, I'll echo what Rich said, because I think it needs to be said in the shoulders and hands that black women that lifted us up, those are a lot of our first guests, and they were already in the niche and in the space. They're like, yeah, these are two gentlemen that you need to be. They put us on. They're like, these are two guys that you can go and listen to who won't mansplain to you. (laughs) And I think that really gave us a lot of credibility. And then I'd say number three, and this might just be an age and maturity thing, and really just the comfort that comes with being myself, is... You know, with the tattoos, and I am a, a tattoo uh, affectionist, so I have like, I lost track. It's over 18 at this point. That's when I stopped counting. But I, that used to be something I literally shied away from. But it's just like, this is who I am. And I didn't even come to that place on my own. It was people writing in. The five-star reviews was like, you know, representation matters. It's nice seeing somebody else out there who looks like me, who talks like me, Mm -hmm. who sounds like me, even if they're covering the exact same topics, but it's coming from a voice that I can recognize and identify with. And that actually came from the fans. So that would kind of be the third people that I would think is, you know, as that fan base continues to grow is they really give me some of the validity that I otherwise might not have in myself. Because to me, I'm just a regular guy out here doing it, baby. You know, <laughs> I'll always be a broke boy for life in my head. So Rich said like, yeah, I'm making more money, but I still got the broke mindset. I can't leave it behind, you know, take the, the broke boy out of the zero dollar balance. But can you take the broke boy out of me? I don't think so. That's my next tattoo. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it was interesting, like when you said the thing about pride, because I do think possibly that is why there are more black women in the game than there are black men in the finance game, because you you do want to seem like 22 year old Marcus being like, no, I don't have any problems. This is all fine. I'm fine. I don't need to talk about my my money failures because I'm I'm great. Look at my shoes. Look at my whatever. Like it is this male pride that comes through like extra maybe, or I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to like diagnose, but yeah. And I would, I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. It it was important to look like I had it all together and that I made it and, you know, not to depend on anyone. And I don't know, I really don't know how much of that is upbringing, just being a male, just being what I see outside internalized, you know, nurture versus nature. But I think that description is accurate. And as Rich knows, We've started businesses. This isn't our first. We started whole sites and, you know, this is our third technically where we're like, hey, we're going to go out here and talk to men. And they like, don't come, don't show up, don't listen, don't read. Not universally. You know, I'm not making sweeping generalizations, but (laughs) fairly accurately, at least 51 (laughs) percent. I argue 70. Uh, And it's it's something that I mean, it's still a mystery to us. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, and it's, I mean, and I'm glad you asked. It's its something that I think we're both super passionate about. And even now, and I'm not going to purport to know every podcast that's out there, but we've been doing this for years and still, like, we're one of the only ones that are out there. So, uh, yeah, ho- hopefully we see that start to change just as we talk about all of these other industries and spaces. Thank you so much to Rich Jones and Marcus Garrett for coming on the show. They host the podcast Paychecks and Balances. And if you're looking for a good episode to start with, might I suggest mine? Rich is on Twitter at I am Rich Jones and Marcus is at the Marcus Garrett. And they're one of my favorite accounts to follow on Instagram at PayBalances. They post just a lot of advice and um, cool stuff that really takes marginalized people into account, specifically black men. So check it out. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. Our show is produced and edited by Melissa Yeager-Miller and sound engineered and mixed by Brendan Burns. Our associate producer is Kristen Torres. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. 
Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera and was written by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen. And I am Gabby Dunn, and I'll see you next week. Stitcher. 